says, needless to say, and then they say what's needless to say? <laughs> no, we don't love that. If a person says needless to say, you know in your mind what they're about to say is needless to say. Anyway, but then some folks, I grew up in North Georgia, my papa was slow in speech um, and would tell you all sorts of things in all sorts of ways. And, and my dad says this often, he'll say, long story short, but it doesn't come with a short story, it comes with a long story. The writer of the Hebrews, the one to whom God first saw fit to give the covenant to call those of Hebron, which means beyond the Jordan, to those who were the smallest in stature amongst all the nations of the land, the smallest of people, those who would be seen as um, minuscule in the eyes of so many, the ones who received the covenant, as we said, those who received the tabernacle, those who received um, the promises, they received the priesthood, they received the law, they received it in its original writing, those tablets of stone. They were dealing with things in this passage, in this, in this letter, things that we don't deal with, things that, uh, unless you're uh, one who followed Judaism and you were a Jew and you were converted out of it in this room, we don't deal with these things that they're going to be dealing with, but the principle is still the same. If you can take one thing from the book of Hebrews, it's this, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. There were people in the first century, those who were Hebrews, those who thought that they were God's people just because of their bloodline, their lineage, or if they were in the priesthood, they thought that they were God's people. They, they believed in um, the blessing of the angels coming and giving the deliverance in chapter 1. They, they, they believed that Moses was God's man and that they were the children of of, of his work and they were of him and, and he was their father and, uh, and even Abraham and, and, and different things throughout the book of Hebrews you see verse after verse, chapter after chapter, passage after passage where the writer of the Hebrews letter says Jesus is better than any of these things that's ever come before. Tonight for our passage of study, our interest, we're going to be looking at the high priest and Jesus serves as our high priest but see if we're not a Jew we don't understand that what does that mean a lot of us were raised up uh, in the church like crops you know and uh, and so the idea of a high priest we don't we don't know that animal it's often said that in order to understand the book of Hebrews you have to have a good ready understanding of the Old Testament it's very thick there's a whole lot of good things that are in here and what I love about um, the book the Hebrews writer is he gives us seven chapters and he begins in chapter 8 and verse 1 and he says now the point which I like those verses the point of this is this now the point in what we are saying is this that we there why does it say we some think Paul wrote it well if Paul wrote it then Paul's by himself, but he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Were there other folks there? Some say that Aquila and Priscilla wrote this. Some think that Apollos wrote this. At the end of the day, God wrote this. So who exactly penned it? 
wasn't for our learning, wasn't for us to know. It has nothing to do with what we might call our salvation. God gives us everything we need to know. But he says the point of everything that we've been saying is this. We have such a high priest. One who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. A minister. One who literally serves. One who stands in the place of a servant. For those of you that are deacons in this room, diakonos, that's your term, that's your office, that's a descriptive term. It describes you and who you are and your function. And here Jesus is being described as that. Deacons, if you're in this room, I know there's a whole lot of jokes about deacons and, you know, a deacon's count or deacon's kids and all these sorts of things. It's just, just comical and, and just, just jest. Just a note to the deacons, when you see this and you see this verse, put yourself into this place. Notice how Jesus is being described as one who is a minister. I thought we were. I thought we were. Jesus is a minister at the right hand in the holy places. See, if a Jew is sitting and listening to this, he says holy places, he's thinking of this there's a little tabernacle right here, some, some little small miniature scale. In this, in this tabernacle, there was this, this first room that you entered in was the holy place, and then behind this veil was the holy of holies, where the high priest, only the high priest, which began with Aaron, you know, he only could go in. Only he could once a year to offer, the sin, offer sacrifices, take blood in there for himself and for the people. On the Day of Atonement, seventh month, tenth day of the year on the Jewish calendar. That Day of Atonement, I want you to look at that word atonement in your mind. When you, if you have a pen and piece of paper, uh, write that word out. Atonement. You think about, well, the idea of atone. Well, one, what does it mean to atone? Well, it's some sort of making up, some sort of um, uh, making level. But if you look at the word, just, just as it's written, written in the English, it is, the, it is the day of at-one-ment. It's the day where they came to become one with God. And, and, and just imagine the, the songs of praise that were going on in this place and the, the temple worship and the sacrifices and, and the bleeding of the sheep and the goats and the, and the, and, and the sounds of the, of the doves or the quails being offered depending on their, their, their financial status. Their day of worship where they were at one with God. This one day, the seventh month, the tenth day of this month, where they would go, they would go and make peace, and they would make all things right. They would, in some ways, they they never could remove the sin, but it was it was something that 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 it it withheld the wrath of God for those people. It was something where I've often heard where, where folks say, "Well, that was the day of a woman atonement where God rolled the sins forward." Never in your Bible do you see that idea casted. Never do you ever read those words where God just rolled the sins forward. What it did do was it, it appeased God. It's what kept a Jew faithful. And I want you to imagine, see, today when we come up here and we partake in something similar, we have these articles up here. So did they in their temple, in their tabernacle, 40 years in the wilderness and for hundreds of years thereafter, where the blood and the body, we are here to... Uh, on the first day of every week to remember the death of Jesus Christ 
And we proclaim his death, we proclaim his resurrection until he comes again. And we take that with him as we are all in the kingdom together. But see, when a Jew came that day to be at one with God, you see, if you were a child, you would watch your father. Your father, he was the head of the household, and he was, he was one to go and to take this lamb. And, and, and it was to be the, the best lamb that you could afford. It was to be one without spot or blemish or any such thing. And, and you take that precious lamb, and you take it up to the priest, and he would inspect it, the one who stood outside of the temple. And he would look, and he would inspect, and, and, and it, it wasn't impure in any kind of way. It had to be the, the best offering. And, and he would take that lamb by the bottom of his chin, lift it up, and there he would take a knife and cut the throat of that lamb. And blood would begin to pour out onto the ground. They, they, would, they would collect some of the blood and they would have to put it on the, the tips of the altar. And, and, and if you were a priest and you were being cleansed to go into the temple to worship, they would take that, the blood of that lamb and they would put it on the right ear and they would put it on the right thumb and the right big toe. And you were covered head to toe with this spotless lamb's blood what a picture of what baptism is today where we are washed by the blood of jesus from head to toe we are totally cleansed now we're able to go into this temple if we're old testament jews that that these priests who who could take your sacrifice and cut up and quarter this thing according to the statutes and everything that's in leviticus but imagine you're standing there with your father or you're standing there as yourself and you watch this priest cut the throat of this lamb. You did that. You caused that because of your personal sin. This was to be done every year. And it was, as it was said, it was of Abraham's faith, it was accounted unto him for righteousness. See, righteousness never could come by the old law. Righteousness could never come by, by somebody holding the lamb's head and, and cutting the throat and the blood pouring out. None of those things and those acts could ever bring you to the place where we are today. Aren't you thankful that we don't have to partake in that? Aren't you thankful that we now sit in a place, a place of peace with God where we are now at one with God and, and this day of atonement that, that happened and took place for us? You see, Jesus is our high priest. This is the better covenant. See, the idea of a high priest is all throughout this, this letter. And some folks say that, that this letter had an earlier writing. But some folks think that this maybe had a closer to 70 A.D. writing. They think that the book of Hebrews was probably penned because the Jews were going to be watching their city be destroyed. And it doesn't really matter one way or the other, but the principle still applies as though these Jews and these Hebrews who are seeing Rome destroy their city in A.D. 70 and, and they see the temple falling and seeing everything that they've come to know and love and the whole city herself and the priests and all these things that they held dear to being crushed before their eyes. While the Holy Spirit through this pen of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is better Jesus is better. Imagine you lose everything you've ever known and have ever clinged to in your life. The Holy Spirit through these scriptures is saying, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. I want you to go to chapter 2. We're going to look at, we're going to look at this. There's, there's 34 mentions of Jesus being the high priest in, in the book of Hebrews. 
We are not going to look at all of these, but I do want to, I do want to make some notes on just a few of these. 17 verses, 34 times in Hebrews if you're taking notes. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those. Notice that term, deliver. Deliver. Deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. All of us, Romans chapter 8, were subjected to futility because of the sin that took place in the garden. We live in a fallen world. And this is where we are. We've been subjected to this because of sin. Sin is, is our slave master if we're not in Christ Jesus and he says that Jesus was delivered and, and will deliver. Verse 16, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a, notice, merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Why? To make propitiation for the sins of the people for because he himself has suffered when tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted one of the things that Jesus does serving as high priest and he's ministering to us he's standing there before the throne room of God and he's having this conversation with God this forgiveness of sins with God for his people on behalf of his people there's Jesus it's the idea where you 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 see Jesus resurrect and he ascends on into heaven and he's there into the throne room and he sits down at the right hand of the Father but then he, he stands up and he turns and he serves on my behalf and your behalf in the throne room of God. Jesus serves in that capacity. What's he doing right now? He is serving on my behalf. Ministering on my behalf. One of the ways that Jesus does this, if you notice in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14, he says, actually in verse 13, to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet? Are they the angels, not all ministering spirits, sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? One of the things that Jesus is doing is he's seeing his faithful children and he's dispatching providentially angels, as it were. Nothing we can see, nothing miraculous, nothing that's this hoodoo and voodoo and, and how Hollywood wants to paint the idea of angels and demons. But it's the idea that God providentially in that realm is serving me with his angels. What all does that look like? I don't know. But I'm thankful, aren't you? serving on my behalf as high priest. You see, if we were Jews back in, uh, back in the day of, of, of Ezra or back in the day of, of any of the old Jews of old who were having to endure these sacrifices and endure these things and, and go through these things, and there was that high priest. And you relied on that high priest. You needed that high priest. It mattered to have one who was two things, Hebrews 2, merciful and faithful. 
And you know as well as I do that we're talking about the all, the all-sufficient, the, 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 the second part of the Godhead, we often say. God the Son, Jesus, the Logos, the one who is, the great I am. The one who took on flesh and the one who, who as it says in chapter 2, it was needful for him to be like his brothers so that he could understand. Do you know why Jesus, that Jesus himself is the very best high priest and the very best minister? It's because he knows what it's like to be you and to be me and to endure the things that we have to endure. You see, some folks will say, well, see, that, I don't understand. See, Jesus never sinned, so he don't, he don't understand really like the way that I understand things. You see, when we give over to temptation, we stop. We yield. We say, stop, that's enough. Okay, okay. But see, Jesus never did that. Jesus endured temptation to the fullest extent. I know nothing of that. I cannot relate to that. He went beyond. He went past. He suffered, and especially when it comes to enduring temptation, farther than any of us ever could. He was sinless. We're going to get to that in chapter 7. For because he himself has suffered, when tempted, he is able. I love those terms, don't you? He is able. <laughs> he is able. I've been at PTP since last Thursday morning. feel like I've been thrown out of an airplane. Got here at 6.52 tonight. I want you to imagine... Let's go back to being a child, but this time you're in the store. And you're maybe five or six, and you've let go of the buggy that Mama was pushing. And you're in this old store, and, and you look over, and there's cereal, and there's detergent, but no, Mama's nowhere. And you begin to panic. You know that, that feeling that you would feel as a young child, or you begin to hear that? Uh, for my six-year-old boy, I, some, he's in... We, 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 we're now progressing out of the stage where he's, he's wanting to know where I am all the time in the house. So he's building trust and confidence. Daddy, where are you? Son, I just went down the hall. Daddy, where are you? I'm here. Do we not do that with our Lord? Father, where are you? When we're scared? See, as a child standing in the grocery store, mama's nowhere to be found. You look around and that, and that fear begins to overwhelm you and you begin to head to the edge of the aisle and you turn and you, you see on the ground there the shadow of your mother. And imagine the relief that you begin to feel, the hope that you begin to feel, but, but, but the shadow is not mama. The shadow is just a, a representation of what she is to you. Now, what do you want? Do you want the shadow or do you want mama? You want mama. Only mama can give you that relief. Only mama can in some ways swoop, swoop in and, and save the day and relieve you from the way that you feel. You see, in chapter 7 of Hebrews, which we're fixing to get into, there toward the end, all of these things that we're reading about, Jesus being a better high priest in the tabernacle and the worship and the the covenants and all those things. All of those things served as a shadow. I want you to, you have your Bible out there, and I want you to imagine if you have an actual Bible, not one of those digital sinful things, you know. And uh, just a joke. It's Wednesday night. We can laugh a little. I you to imagine that you split your Bible open right to the beginning of your New Testament. And I want you to put a cross right in between where the Old Testament 
those those years of silence, not non-canonical um, things that the people say, oh, the Apocrypha and the writings, and well, the Lord didn't see fit to put those in there, but that 400 years of silence that, that took place because of their rebellion, put a cross right there in between your Old and New Testament. And I want you to pretend like you have a flashlight here. And even though the cross is, is looking forward to the New Testament, you know how this story is going to go, and you, you know as a Christian how the, rest of this, how the rest of this ends. But there's a flashlight that's being hid here. And that flashlight cast a shadow of the cross onto the Old Testament. It's amazing how this book was written almost, as it were, in reverse. It's a beautiful book, 1,600 years compiled together of all the writings of these 66 as we have it. And, and there's so much of this, especially in the Old Testament, everything that we're reading in Hebrews, there's so much that, that I would, I don't have time to go into and, and talk about the beautiful nature. And that's the wonderful thing about this book is it's a lifelong book and it's going to give you so much peace and so much hope and there's going to be so many things that you're going to read and it's going to click, hey, this was here and this was here. You think one person wrote this book over a long period of time because that's exactly what happened. Hebrews chapter 3, he says, Therefore, verse 1, brothers, since we know Jesus to be these things, since we know Jesus to be a faithful and merciful high priest, faithful, full of faith, there's no wavering concerning him. Therefore, holy brothers, your version may say brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Look to Jesus. Inspect Jesus. For these Hebrews in this century here who were listening and having to read these things and somebody stood aloud and read this or whether they took this scroll up and they read it for themselves. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest. Apostle is a descriptive term. It just means one who is sent. Who was Jesus sent of? Of God. The term apostle is used in various different ways in the New Testament. There, there, there was the apostles of Jesus Christ. We know who they were. And then Barnabas and others were called the apostles of the church. And, and don't get hung up on those titles. It was the idea that they were the ones who were sent out. Just like missionaries are sent out around the world. That's the idea of the idea of one being serving as an apostle. The apostle, the high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house. And then he begins to talk about Moses. Oh, didn't we love Moses as Jews? Oh, didn't we, didn't we in some ways worship Moses? Oh, in some ways didn't we rely upon Moses if we're these Jews sitting here? Yes, we did. But he says, consider Jesus. Chapter 4, just the next page over, verse 14. Since then, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed. Through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. That word pass there in your, in your Bible, it, it, is, it can mean the word penetrate. I want you to imagine that there is the, the throne room of God, and Jesus serves as the anchor of our soul that he's often called. But this is Jesus who has pierced through all of heaven and is there at the throne room of God and ministering on my behalf and for yours, O Christian. And that anchor will not go anywhere. For those of you that love to fish, you know this analogy. When you want to stop and you've hit that sweet spot over here by the branch or the moss, whatever it may be, near the dam, wherever it is, you drop that anchor into the, to the bottom of that lake or that pond, 
And that anchor, no matter what, as long as you are connected to the bottom of that anchor, you will go nowhere. Sure, the waves may drift you a little bit. You may be over this side or you may be over this side. If the wind comes around and begins to rock the boat, it doesn't matter. We're not moving anywhere. Are we, are, are we being rocked about? Yes. Spiritually speaking, have you been rocked about? Yes. Have we been hurt? Yes. Have we been knocked down? Yes, but as Paul said, in no way crushed. Because he has entered into the heavens and he is there as an anchor for me. He has pierced through that. And as long as I and you are connected to King Jesus, our high priest, we shall not be moved. Amen, lights and walls. Mm. I love what he says in verse 11 of that chapter. Let us therefore strive. Strive to enter what? That rest. <laughs> so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. What's going to get me through life? This word that's in front of you, Jake Sutton. He says in verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, in every respect, has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Because of that, verse 16, let us with confidence. Brethren, not just confidence, but God-given, God-wrought, God-bought confidence. Whose confidence do you want in your life? Who do you want for you to, to serve and minister to you and to dispatch providentially His good work and His good favor into your life? To stand before the throne room of God when you and I sin, John, 1 John chapter 1. When we do wrong and we sin, even as Christians, and we, we fall short. Who do you want? Jesus. Don't give me no man. Don't give me some other person. Don't give me somebody with a title or this degree or this or that. No preacher. Give me Jesus. That's who I want. Only He. See, God had spent years and years and years and years this shadow type of this temple service, of this man-oriented, man-served priesthood. But you and I sit here tonight on Wednesday evening in August and everything's okay. Are you sure? Oh, yes. Why? Because Jesus is my high priest in the throne room of God making appeasement, making propitiation. He's the go-between. He and the Holy Spirit are mediating for me. Romans chapter 8. Let us with confidence do what? Draw near to the throne of grace. Why? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need I'm in need you're in need 
You may be in need tonight in more ways than you know. And because Jesus stands, yes, he resurrected. Yes, he, he defeated all the odds. Yes, he, 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 in, he in every way became everything that we needed. And, and yes, he is the son of God. And yes, he, he resurrected. And he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. But then he stood up and he ministers for me and for you. That's God finance, not just confidence. That's confidence that God gives me. Do you have that? Are you still hung up on what you're doing? Or does something that you did six years ago still bother you? Have you forgiven yourself? Imagine taking your sin back up to the high priest. Now you've already offered sacrifices for it. You're, you're this Old Testament Jew. You're, you got to go. Come on, kids. We got to go. We got Daddy's done this, and Mama's done this, and y'all certainly have done this. I never believed in relig- original sin until I had a six-year-old. <laughs> Tongue-in-cheek joke. Maybe, ish. Most days. But you go and you get the lamb, or if you're poor folks, you get the quail, or you get the birds, whatever you can get. And you go to the priest and, and you sacrifice this year for something and, and it's atoned, where it's been atoned for. And, and this was the picture where, where God, in, in time past, the King James uses the term winked at. That don't mean what that means today. It's the idea that God overlooked things that took place then toward the cross of Jesus Christ. He now commands all men everywhere to repent. But back then he would... He would, when a sacrifice was made, just as much as the blood of Jesus is going forward ever today, it went backward for all the faithful. And all those folks who, who, who made sacrifice and who tried to be as best as they could be at one with Jesus. Like it was said of Zechariah and Luke that he was one who was blameless. He and his wife were blameless concerning the law. Not perfect, blameless. I want to be blameless. Not perfect, blameless. That when I do wrong, when I do wrong, I make it right at once. But imagine you've made the sacrifice. High priest, see you next year. You leave, you come back, and he says, I've done this. And he says, again? <laughs> no, this is what I did last year. Well, that was, that was handled last year. Why are you bringing that back up? Imagine going to Jesus with something that you did X number of years ago, X number of months ago, and you've been forgiven of it, but still you take it back to Jesus, and you take it back to Jesus, and you take it back to Jesus. At what point do you begin to forgive yourself because Jesus knows nothing of it? He says, I'm able to go because Jesus Christ is like an anchor who has pierced through the heavens and is established at the right hand of God the Father. And as long as I'm connected to that anchor, I have this confidence, I have this mercy, I have this grace in my time of need. That implies I need it. Chapter 7. Of course, he begins to talk about Melchizedek and how Abraham, he, he, he apportioned, he gave toward Melchizedek and this study isn't about him, but we need to recognize it. It said, verse 11, Now perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, which implies that it wasn't, which implies that it is today. Isn't that a blessing? 
He says, for under the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to rise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a chance in the priesthood, or a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one uh, whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe of tribe Moses, said nothing about priests. This becomes more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement, concerning bodily descendant, not of Aaron, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witness of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced. Aren't you thankful that a better hope has been introduced to you? If you hate your sin, you do. If you're sorry for your sins, you're so thankful for a better hope through which we draw near to God. This isn't some sort of unction or some sort of feeling. I, heard, I had a fellow tell me one time, I was having a Bible study with him. He said, I know that I'm saved. And I said, how do you know that you're saved? He said, I was driving my truck. He was a trucker. He said, I was driving my truck and I felt some burning in my chest and I knew right then I was saved. And I thought, how do you know it wasn't indigestion? He looked at me like I was crazy. I've heard people say, well, God told me. I said, well, what does he sound like, number one? But number two, how do you know it wasn't the devil? Then they look at you like you're crazy. He says, we draw near to God because of a better hope, a better faith system that's been revealed and given to us, a better high priest who now stands in the throne room of God, one who gives me grace. He's faithful. He's merciful. He's able to do all these things that no other priest ever could. He says, and it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests, this is verse 20, were made such without an oath. But this one, this better hope, this better high priest, was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The one who sits and puts pen to paper and guarantees the articles written. Who do you want signing that? Jesus. If you're not a Christian, guess what you don't have? You do not have Jesus at the right hand of the Father serving on your behalf. You don't have Jesus offering you a better hope and him serving as the guarantor of that hope, of that, of, that, of that covenant that's made. You don't have it. You should be terrified. But for those of us who are in Jesus, what relief do we have? What hope do we have? Hope in the book of Hebrews is the idea of something that is met with expectation. Not, I hope Georgia wins another championship today or this year. Amen, Brother Mike in the back. See, the former priest, verse 23, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. They died. But he holds his priesthood, Jesus, permanently. Jesus is not just another shadow. Jesus is. You ask Jews today, what are they going to say? Jesus, hey, he was a great fellow, but he's not that humdinger. Y'all make him out to be over there. 
They don't probably say that, but something like that. Consequently, because of this, what's the consequences of this effect? That God himself has sworn by an oath and saying, this one will be the priest forever. Because of that, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. Not just far. Not just those who are way far out. But every single person. He is able. There it is again. He is able. Who are those he's able to save? Those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives. Here it is again. To make intercession for them. That is my name in there. And if you're in Jesus Christ, that's your name in there. That's every faithful person. You know what I'm looking forward to? What Paul said that last day, when the trump of God shall sound, and Jesus will there be in the clouds, and all the angels in flaming fire, who are going to be passing me as I'm going up, and they're going to go down there and take vengeance on all them that don't obey the gospel of Jesus. But there's Jesus, and there's all the faithful with him. What a day that'll be. How do we sing it? What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Is he yours? He's mine. We need to be, having, we need to be using language like that all the time. If we're not careful, we're going to think of God as somebody who's way far off, who's way over yonder, who I can't reach and I got to talk about God like he's somewhere else. He's mine. David said, my Lord said, my Lord, my Adonai, my master, my teacher. Is he yours? For it was indeed fitting, verse 26, that he, that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has, no, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and, and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself, once for all, everything's fine. Because I continue to draw, the, draw to him through this better hope. Because he's the high priest that I've always needed. He says it was indeed fitting. Not out of fit, but fitting. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of, of the oath, which came latter than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Now the point, long story short, needless to say, we have such a high priest. We have. Do you? When I study with my religious friends who believe in some points of Calvinism that say that Jesus only died, that Bible says all, once for all, but they don't take it that way. They make that it means that he died once for all those that are going to be saved. This is a statement that I can, I can agree with the premise of this statement when they say this, when I'm studying with them, when I'm... When, when, we're, when we're studying together, he says, you see, Jake, 
the person who is currently in torment now, like the rich man. See, he, 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 he can't say Jesus died for me, the same person who's sitting in paradise. He said it doesn't have the same meaning. And to that, I know what he means. See, the person who is in torment may be pleading out to God. Your son died for me. Help me. Save me. That person who says that, that carries a different weight than the person who stands in the presence of Jesus. In that realm of paradise, of peace and rest. Who can say, Jesus died for me. I can understand that thought. But the reality is, is that Jesus died for every single person. He's able to save those to the uttermost. That means find the deepest, darkest hole with the deepest, darkest sin and the deepest, darkest person. Jesus can save them. Do you doubt it? Sometimes we doubt it. You know how we doubt it? We become judgmental to people. They're not going to receive it. Hey, listen, they're in this marriage, they're in this, they got this going on in their life. Listen, they've had their lips to the bottle, they've always had their lips to the bottle. Jesus can save them. He saved you. He saved me. We got a better hope, don't we? These things throne in the majesty of heaven and minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up not man for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer now if he were on earth he would not be a priest at all since there, there are the priests who offer gifts according to the law verse 5 they those things they serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things for when Moses was about to Erect the tent. He was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old. As the covenant he mediates is better. Since it is enacted on better promises. Hello? Waffle House. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of, e out of the land of Egypt. Notice that took him by the hand do you walk with him that way there were days when my little boy reached for my hand because he had trouble walking there are days where we need to still reach to our father's hand because we have trouble walking for they did not continue in my covenant and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with them, with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds, not on some tablet. I will write them on their hearts. 
not on stone. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor, each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they, those of us in the kingdom of Jesus, shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I'll remember their sins no more. If that don't do it for you, brethren, nothing will. You have an opportunity to make everything right with King Jesus tonight. He serves as high priest. He wants everything to be right between you and God. As that old priest of old, he would there stand and he would, on that day of atonement, the seventh month, the tenth day, he would, he would take your sacrifices and, and he would make you at one meant with God. At that moment, things were in, in some ways looked over. He couldn't forgive you. But something better was coming. We now sit 2,000 years roughly after the perfect came, Jesus, establishing that perfect and better covenant, the New Testament, giving us the new tabernacle, the church, by which you and I are placed into by faith in Jesus Christ, baptized into him, Acts 2, 47. Have you done that? Is he your hope? Is he your hope and stay? Does Jesus enter the veil in there into the throne room of God for your sake and for mine? If you're not a Christian, you cannot say yes. But if you are, brethren, we can sleep good tonight, can't we? Please respond as together we stand and sing this song.